Hi, you're listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist Church. These resources are not designed to take the place of a local church, but we hope they will encourage you on your journey with Christ. For more information about how you can connect with the Second Family, visit mysecond.family. This sermon was delivered live at our Greenbrier campus. Thanks for listening. It is Easter, and uh, today we were talking about the climactic moment of our Christian faith. Uh, We are talking about the resurrection of Jesus, and I'm sure that that is not a surprise to you at all. You're probably expecting that, right? And uh, that is what we're going to look at. Uh, But I I want us to look at the story and look at the scene of what's happening there. We've been going through this series in the book of John for the past several weeks. And so if you've been with us, uh, we've been walking through the book of John. And we're going to kind of jump over a few chapters this morning. Uh, Next week, we'll go back. Uh, We'll we'll rewind a little bit. Uh, So, you you know, come check it out next week as well. But this morning, we're going to be in John chapter 20. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and open up to John chapter 20. And we're going to look at the emotion of the moment. The emotion of the moment. So as I was studying this week and, and, and looking at our text and things, there were some things that really kind of jumped out to me, and it was, it was the emotion of uh, the resurrection scene in John chapter 20. It was, uh, there's a lot of running, there's a lot of people being afraid, there's a lot of uncertainty and different things like that. And so I just started thinking about how we respond uh, to things that may scare us. And I, I, I think there's two kinds of people in the world. There are people who um, are scared easily, And then there's the people who like to scare those people. You know what I'm talking about? So how many of you would say, like, you um, get scared easily? Yeah, okay. Now, how many of you are the people who like to scare those people, right? That's definitely me. Definitely me. I love to... um, scare my family, you know, I like to hide behind doors and in different areas and just wait. Sometimes you got to wait a long time, but it's worth it, you know, and so just stand there and wait, and then at the right moment, you jump out, you get the reaction you're looking for. My wife, every time, her reaction is, what is wrong with you? Every time, you know, but I just love it. I think it's hilarious uh, seeing people get scared. It's one of the funniest things to me, and I think, um, I think Instagram knows it because the algorithm on my Instagram account um, will constantly just pull up these videos of people getting scared. And so the other day I saw um, kind of this compilation of, of these videos of, of these people getting scared. And what was happening is it was spouses or friends that um, one of them would pretend like they were afraid of something just to see how their spouse would react. You know what I'm talking about? And so I thought it'd be fun to look at some of those this morning. And so we put together just a few of them, but go ahead, just check out this video. is in there, right? So maybe you can try that this afternoon at at your house. I don't know, but that kind of sets up what we're talking about this morning. Just being afraid, not really sure what you're afraid of. Um, Some uncertainty, some different things like that, that leads to running like, like those people. That's what we're going to look at 
out of John chapter 20 this morning. Before we jump into the text, I'd like for us to pray, and I'm gonna pray for all of us, and why don't you just pray for yourself and ask God to speak to you in this moment. Let's, let's pray together. God, we ask that you would do just that, that you would speak to our hearts in a way that only you can. God, I pray that you would just remove me from the equation uh, completely, that we would hear your voice and nothing else. Uh, God, would you make these scriptures just come alive? And meet us right here in the, in the things that we're walking through, the things that we're dealing with. Would you help us to see how your empty tomb actually affects our lives? We're listening and we love you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. All right, John chapter 20. Let's, we're going to walk through this passage just kind of systematically together. And, and so look at the first two verses with me and we'll talk. Uh, John chapter 20, verse 1. On the first day of the week... Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark. She saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb, so she went running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved. That's John, the writer of this book. And said to them, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've put him. Let's, let's pause right there just for a second. And, and as we get going, like set some context for us and um, like I said, like you're probably familiar with the scene. It's the, it's, the, it's the scene of the tomb after the crucifixion. But verse 1, if you don't know anything about the Bible, if you're, um, if you're new to all of this, it really sets the tone for us. Verse 1 tells us it was the first day of the week, meaning it was, it was Sunday morning. It was three days after the crucifixion scene. Then we see that it was, there was Mary Magdalene. Uh, Mary Magdalene is, is there. And uh, what we know about her, this is not Mary, the mother of Jesus. This is Mary from a town called Magdala, which was a town by the Sea of Galilee. And what we know from, uh, from her story, Mark chapter 16, verse 9, Jesus healed her. And when he healed her, she became a follower of him, and she was a friend, and she was with him um, a lot, all right? So that's who she is. And then it says she came to the tomb, to the tomb. Now, again, if you are unfamiliar with the story, you know that a tomb equals death, doesn't it? it? It equals death. That's what a tomb is. It's where you place a dead body. So this is just after Jesus has been crucified. And Mary, who this whole story kind of centers around her and her interaction with Jesus, Mary was there. She was at the crucifixion scene. John chapter 19, verse 25 tells us. And so she saw everything. She was there. Like, she saw him falsely accused. She saw him uh, mistreated uh, as, they, as they spit on him, as they ripped out his beard, as they stripped him of his clothing, as they crammed this crown of thorn onto his forehead, as they mocked him, saying, you're the king of the Jews, wear this crown. Like, she was there. She saw all of that. She saw them uh, put the nails in his hands and in his feet on the cross. They saw, she saw as they raised him up on the cross, dropped it down into place, dislocating his shoulders. She saw all of that. She heard him praying for those who were torturing her, or torturing him there on the cross. She, she saw all of that. She heard all of that. And she was there as he was struggling to breathe. And as he took his last breath and said, it is finished, she saw all of that. And then... She saw it as the uh, Roman soldiers came by at the end of the day to make sure that those hanging on the crosses, there were several of them, were actually dead. And the way that they would make sure that they were actually dead is they would break their legs so that they would drop and suffocate on the cross. That's how you die from crucifixion is by suffocation. And so 
They came by and broke the legs of the thieves hanging by Jesus, but when they got to Jesus, they saw that he was already dead, and so what they did instead, Mary saw them take the spear and run it up underneath Jesus' rib cage and into his heart, and when they pulled it out, blood and water came out, showing that he, he was dead. Mary was there. She saw it all, right? She was there. Not only was she at the crucifixion, she was also at his burial. She was at his burial, Matthew 27, 61. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were seated there facing the tomb, and shows she's there and she's watching as uh, Joseph, the guy who owns the tomb, and Nicodemus from John chapter 3 are preparing Jesus' body. They're wrapping him in the grave clothes, placing him there in the tomb, rolling the stone in front of the, the tomb. Mary was there. She saw it all, right? So she knew exactly where the tomb was. She was, she was there. So then uh, you keep going in verse 1 and it says that uh, it was early and it was still dark. So that tells us the time of day that she went, right? She went very early in the morning before the sun even comes up. I'll be honest with you, I rarely see that time of day, you know? But she was there and it was still dark. And so it tells us the time of day, but it also tells us just the emotion of the moment, you know? It's a, it's a dark moment. It's, it's, a, it's a moment that's extremely emotional. It's lonely, a lot of grief, a lot of pain, and those kind of things. That's what Mary is feeling here in this moment. And then verse 1 tells us she saw, what did she see? She saw that the stone had been removed. And immediately, man, just so many questions start to, start to fill her mind. Like all these different things start to flood in, and, and she just takes off running. Like those videos that we watched. She was just uncertain. She didn't understand what was happening. She didn't know what happened to why the stone had been removed. She just takes off running. And in this passage, there is more running than any of the other gospel accounts. And so I want us to look at this passage from that theme of running because I think it really tells us the story of what's happening here. So the first thing that we see if you're a note taker is that she is running from fear. She is running from fear. She's afraid. She's confused. And it's like, what, what is her fear? Her fear is just uncertainty. Not understanding what happened. Not understanding what's about to happen, you know. She's just full of uncertainty. She didn't know where Jesus' body was. She didn't know. And the most logical explanation that she could come to in her mind, the thing that made the most sense was somebody came in and stole him. Somebody took his body Away. In fact, she says it twice in verse 2 and verse 13. She says that someone has stolen his body. She's convinced that's what's happened, right? She's convinced, which had to have felt, like if you just place your, yourself in her shoes, doesn't that just feel like salt in the wound? Like she just watched her friend, Jesus, brutally murdered, crucified, placed in a tomb, and now somebody's stolen him? That's just salt in the wound for her. She definitely wasn't thinking that there's a shot that Jesus was alive, was she? Nobody would have. You wouldn't have. I wouldn't have. Because that kind of thing doesn't usually happen, <laughs> does it? That kind of thing doesn't usually happen. Death is final. People don't typically come back from death. If you're a reader and maybe you've read some biographies and, and things like that, have you ever read anyone's biography that has more story after the funeral? No, because that kind of thing doesn't typically happen. And so what she does is she takes off running in fear. She's afraid. She's afraid of the unknown. 
And so let's just bring this emotion into the room. Let's, let's feel this together. I think we all have fears, don't we? Every single one of us, we have fears in our different forms and different ways. And so I would just ask, what is it you're afraid of? What are you worried about? What are you anxious about? What is it that you're running from? Maybe for some of us, it is the fear of death. I think that's it's one of the top fears of people could be gut level honest, like in surveys, it shows one of the top things people are afraid of is death because it is final, it is certain, right? It is coming for all of us and so we, we fear death. Maybe for you, it's the fear of uncertainty like it was for Mary. Just not really knowing like what life holds, what's coming down the path for you, how that thing's gonna play out. Maybe it's the fear of uncertainty for you that you're running from. Maybe it's the fear of just loneliness or failure or rejection. Maybe it's these things that are in your mind and you're running from those. I wanna just put this in front of you as we break down this text, all right? Just put this thought in front of you. Uh, whether you're a believer or a skeptic, I don't, I don't know, but just, just submit this to you that, that your fears can be dramatically impacted by the evidence of the empty tomb. If this story is true, then it will dramatically affect your fears. It will dramatically affect your life. This isn't, I believe, just a story for Easter. I believe it can actually affect your life. I believe it can actually affect your Monday through Saturday as well. So what are those things that you're afraid of? What are you running from? The empty tomb can affect those things. So just for example, take the example of death. Maybe that's the thing that you're afraid of. Maybe that's the thing that you're, that you're running from. If the tomb is empty, well, then death is defeated. Death is defeated because Jesus beat it, right? Like if all this is true, that's what that means. And that's why Christians, believers, people who believe this to be true, that's the reason we call funerals uh, the celebration of life service, you know? Like if you're not a Christian, calling a funeral a celebration makes no sense, does it? That's, that's completely ludicrous. It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make sense unless you understand that Christ's resurrection also equals your resurrection as a Christian, as a believer. That yes, your earthly body will die, but in Christ, you're going to live. That's why we call it a celebration of life. We know it's not the end. We have hope. We're going to see them again, right? And so if your fear is death and that's what you're running from, then the empty tomb dramatically affects that because Jesus beat death. If your fear is uncertainty, just uncertain in life and not knowing how everything's going to play out, well, then the empty tomb is met by the good shepherd, John chapter 10, that he's the one who guides us and leads us. You don't have to be uncertain about life. If, you're, if your fear, the thing that you're running from is loneliness or rejection, well, through the empty tomb and in Christ, it is met with family and acceptance in Christ. Do you see how the tomb, how the empty tomb dramatically impacts everything in your life? Right? So what are you running from? Again, if the evidence is true, if the evidence of the resurrection is true, then there is nothing that keeps you up at night that the resurrection isn't the cure, right? And so she's running in fear. Let's, let's keep going in the story. Look at verse three. At that, so she runs back to go to Peter and John. At that, Peter and the other disciple, that's John, went out heading for the tomb. The two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter to get 
to the tomb first. I, hold on, I just think that that's funny uh, because John is the writer here and he just told us I'm a little bit faster than Peter is, you know? It's just a little jab at Peter. By the way, I was faster, we raced, and I got there first. Verse five, stooping down, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then following him, Simon Peter also came. He entered into the tomb and he saw the linen cloths lying there. The wrapping that had been on his head was not lying with the linen cloths, but was folded up in a separate place by itself. The other disciple, John, who had reached the tomb first, then also went in, saw, and believed. For they did not yet understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples returned to the place where they were staying. So what just happened there? What we see is, is Mary runs in fear, but now Peter and John are running toward hope. Number two, they're running toward hope. So Mary returns to Peter and John, tells them what she saw, and they just take off running. Actually, they take off racing back to the tomb. And the question is why? Why, why, why run? Well, for the last three days at this moment, they've been grieving, they've been hurting, they've been crying together, they've been in hiding. But I imagine, right, that they're also talking about and remembering their friend. Don't you think? Like, that's what you do when a loved one passes away. So you talk about them, you, you, you think about all the things that they said and the things that they did, and I think that that's what they were doing here. And I think that they started to remember all of the times that Jesus told them, I'm going to die and I'm going to rise again in three days. And even though they didn't understand it back then, and even here in verse 9 it says that they didn't fully understand all of the details and what it meant, I think that they started to piece things together and go, you know what, I think he talked about this. Like, he talked about how he was going to die, and he talked about how he was going to rise again. The clearest example is in Mark chapter 9, verse 31. It says, Jesus was teaching his disciples and telling them, the Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. They will kill him, and after he is killed, he will rise three days later. But they did not understand the statement, and they were afraid to ask him, right? So Jesus explicitly told them exactly what was going to happen, that he was going to be put on trial, that he was going to be killed, that he was going to rise from the dead three days later. He clearly told them that. And so after his death, I think they start to think back on that a little bit. And now they've just heard that the stone is rolled away, right? And so they just jump up and they just start running towards it. And I think they had this thought in their mind, what if? Like, what if? What if what he was saying is true? Like, what if, the, what if it actually happened? We're not told exactly what was in their minds or what they're thinking, but we do know what they find. And they find an empty tomb. They find an empty tomb. In fact, John gives us a lot of details about the empty tomb, about how Peter just rushed in, because that's what Peter always does. He doesn't think about anything, he just does. And so he ran into the tomb, and John follows him in there. And what do they see? John tells us this very detailed description of what they see. And they see the grave clothes laying there. The things that Jesus was wrapped in by Joseph and, and Nicodemus laying there in place. And John goes into detail to talk about the face cloth. It was a separate thing that was just put on the head. And John says it was not just laying there. It was over to the side, and it was folded neatly. Right? Why the detail? Why the detail there? I think John wants us to see some evidence. I think that's what it is. Because remember, Mary's thinking Jesus' body has been stolen. He's not there. 
In fact, that became one of the popular, um, in Matthew's account of the resurrection, uh, the authorities were actually trying to spread rumors that Jesus' body had been stolen. That's, what they were, that's how they were trying to explain it. And John's here saying, let me tell you how I know it wasn't stolen because of the grave clothes. They were, they were laying there. The face cloth was folded over to the side. Thieves aren't going to do that, right? That's what John's trying to help you see. Like thieves aren't going to take the time to pick up a dead body, take all the grave clothes off of it, lay it back there, and then take the face cloth and fold it and put it over to the side. They're not going to take the time to do that. Also, keep in mind, the grave is, is, is blocked by this giant rock that's been sealed and stamped with the Roman guard's seal. Thieves aren't getting in there, right? And they're certainly not going to take the time to unwrap the body and fold up the cloths. He wants us to see the evidence. Because when John sees that, that's his moment of belief. That's what happens. It says that he saw and he believed, verse 8 says. Which has been the whole point of the book of John. If you've been with us through this series, I've told you every week, the whole point of the book of John, it, it, John says clearly in John 20, 31, says, I'm writing these things in this book to you so that you might believe. That you might believe that he is the Messiah and that by believing you would have life in his name. That's what John says is his purpose. And here we just saw John do that. He sees the evidence, it all makes sense, and he believes. He's the first disciple, by the way, who would believe without seeing the risen Christ just like you and I do, right? And so John sees the evidence and he, he believes. And we talked about a few seconds ago about what are you running from? What are you running from? So can I ask now, what are you running toward? What are you running toward? Are you running toward the hope of Jesus? Anything outside of him is gonna leave you empty. So, so running from uncertainty isn't going to clear things up, but running to Jesus will. Running from loneliness and rejection won't bring acceptance and belonging, but running to Jesus will. Running from death won't save you from death, but running to Jesus will, because the resurrection changes everything. The resurrection changes everything. And so Peter and John, they go running back, and they're running with hope. And John sees the evidence and he, he believes. Now I want you to see the rest of the story. Mary, Peter, Peter and John, they, they go back to the disciples. We were just told in verse 10. Now look at verse 11. Mary's gonna stay at the empty tomb. But Mary stood outside the tomb crying. And as she was crying, she stooped to look into the tomb. She saw two angels in white sitting where Jesus' body had been lying, one at the head and the other at the feet. And they said to her, woman, why are you crying? Because they've taken away my Lord, she told him, and I don't know where they've put him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know it was Jesus. Woman, Jesus said to her, why are you, why are you crying? Who is it that you're seeking? Supposing he was the gardener, she replied, sir, if you've carried him away, just tell me where you've put him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And turning around, she said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Don't cling to me, Jesus told her, since I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and tell them that I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and 
your God. And Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. Can't you just picture her just going back in excitement? She's almost skipping, if not running there. I have seen the Lord. And she told them what he had said to her. Finally, number three, as we close out, we see running in joy. So we've gone from fear to running towards hope, seeing the evidence, believing, to now running in joy because that's what the empty tomb does. As she was crying, she finally decides to look into the tomb. It's the first time it's mentioned that she actually looked in. And what does she see? She sees two angels and they're sitting kind of where the feet were and where the head was. It's a picture of the Ark of the Covenant and there's a whole lot of stuff that you could talk about with that. But there's this picture of these two angels sitting in there. Should have been a clue for her, by the way, that, that something miraculous has happened. But I don't know, in her grief or whatnot, she can't understand what's, what's happening. So she still says, someone's taken the body of my friend Jesus and I want to know where he is. She turns around. She sees Jesus, but she doesn't recognize him. Maybe her eyes are puffy. Maybe they're still filled with tears. I'm not, I'm not quite sure. She thinks he's the gardener. She says, just tell me where you've taken him and I, I'll go get him. And Jesus says, Mary. Like he calls her name. And when he calls her name, everything changes. Immediately her eyes are opened. She sees Jesus, recognizes him. She grabs him and hugs him. Did you feel the emotion shift in that story? Verse 11, she's standing there crying, hopeless, scared, confused. And now, boy, it's a complete 180. Everything's been turned on its head. She went from tears to joy. She's ecstatic now. Now she goes running back in joy. Why? Because the resurrection changes everything. It changes everything. And what happens then is Jesus sends her to go tell of the good news that she's found. He sends, he sends her out, which is an interesting thing that's happened here because she's the first one to see the risen Jesus, which I think is fascinating because Jesus' two best friends, Peter and John, just left the tomb. He could have revealed himself to them, but he waits until they leave and reveals himself to this woman named Mary Magdalene. She's the first one to see him, and she's the first one to proclaim his resurrection, which, by the way, if you're making this story up in first century, you don't do it this way. You don't make a woman the star of the story because a woman's word, it wasn't like today. They, they weren't respected and they, they weren't listened to in the same way. And so if this was a made up story, you have some Roman guard telling the story. You don't have some woman named Mary Magdalene telling, telling the story. And so to me, that's just more evidence that this story is 100% true. And he, he sends her to proclaim the good news, sends her to proclaim the gospel that he is risen. And look at what he tells her to say in verse 17. You gotta see this. It says, go to my brothers and tell them that I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Now, there's new language that's just been used. That's, that's a new way of talking. Jesus hasn't done that until this moment. 108 times in the book of John, Jesus refers to God as Father. 27 times he says, my Father. 71 times he says, the Father. Only one time in the entire book does he say, your Father. And it's right here in verse 17. It's also the first time in John's gospel that he calls the disciples his brothers. 
So everything's been changed. That's what the resurrection does. That's the good news of the gospel. The bad news of the gospel is that we're separated by our sin. We're separated from a holy God because of our sin nature, the the way that we don't hit the mark of holiness. But the good news of the gospel is that Jesus comes and stands in your place. He doesn't just die for you. He He dies in your place, right? He dies a death that you should have died. He, he, they put him in a tomb because he was dead. And he comes bursting out of the tomb, as we just saw in this story, alive, proving that he's God, proving that he has power over sin and death forever. And when he does, he offers us life. He closes that gap of separation between us and God. The resurrection of Jesus brings us close to God, makes us family with God. That's the language that's just been used. No longer cut off, no longer exiled, no longer enemies of God. Now he calls us brothers, sisters, and children of God. That's the good news of of the resurrection. That's what the resurrection does for us. You guys, um, you remember a couple years ago this thing called COVID? Yeah, (laughs) that was weird, right? Feels like forever ago, even though I heard just this week that of some people in our church that, that have, have COVID. So it's still around, but it feels like a thing that was another life ago and everything got weird. Do you remember how everybody had to find like a new hobby and like find things to do to stay at home and you couldn't go do anything fun? And so we all came up with new, new hobbies. I decided I was going to start running a little bit. And uh, you just need to know I hate running. <laughs> I'm, I'm not built uh, for running. I find no joy in it. In fact, if you see me running, well, you probably better run too because something has gone terribly wrong. I don't like to run. But during COVID, I thought I would try. And one of the things that motivated me was um, I'm a huge fan of the Denver Broncos. And I love the Denver Broncos, always have, they're, even though they're, they're really terrible most years. Big fan. And I saw that they were going to be doing a 7K, a virtual 7K, because everything in COVID was virtual, right? And so I decided, you know what, I want to do that, because they had a really cool t-shirt and really cool medal that they were going to give out, and I wanted that medal hanging in my office. That was, mo- that was the motivation. And so I started training a little bit, very little bit, and then the day came for the virtual 7K. And so I went out to Tucker Creek Trail all by myself, because there's no other Broncos fans in Faulkner County, you know. <laughs> And so I go out to run my virtual 7K at, at, at Tucker Creek, and, which is 4.3 miles, by the way. It's a pretty big deal. And uh, so I went out there to run that. And uh, nobody was there to watch me run. Nobody cheered me on. Nobody handed me little water cups. Um, nothing. But I did it. I finished that, that 7K all by myself. You weren't there to see it. But they did give me this medal. Right, That's pretty cool, right? It says Broncos uh, Virtual Fit 7K Labor Day Weekend 2020. And right there it says Broncos Finisher. Pretty big deal. I wore it all day after I finished. Wore it all day. The point is that medal is the visible proof that I actually did it. That medal is the, is the visible proof that I actually ran the race. And as we close... I just want you to know, whether this is your first time here or hundredth time here, I want you to know that God runs after you. We've been talking about running in this story, 
And I think it's important for you to know that the God of all creation actually runs after you. And the cross and the empty tomb is the visible proof. It's the visible proof. One of the biggest hangups that people have with following Jesus and, and giving their life to him is, is they just think that they don't measure up. There's no way that God would actually love someone like me, right? That's the biggest hangup. One time Jesus was telling stories because that's, that's what he did. He told a lot of stories. And he was telling these stories and they always had deep meaning to them. And the story that he was telling was a story of a, of a son who was just like completely unlovable. And he's a punk. And he, he went to his father, who his father was very wealthy and had a lot of things. And the son went to the father and said, I just want you to give me my inheritance. Just give me the things that, that you owe me and I'm leaving. And essentially he's saying, you're dead to me. And the son leaves and he, we don't know how long, but he wastes all of the money. He, he ends up finding himself spiraled so far down and out of control that he's eating with the pigs in the pig pen. And he finally says, you know what? I'm just gonna go back to my dad's house because at least there he'll make me a hired hand. And so he goes back and he's prepared this speech about how he's not good enough, but just make me a hired hand and all those kind of things. And, and Jesus is telling the story, right? And he's telling it to all these Jewish people who are sitting there. And, and what Jesus says next would have been shocking to the Jewish people. As the son was coming back, Jesus talks about how the father had been sitting there on the front porch watching for his son to come home. And when he sees his son's silhouette, again, this is where there would have been audible gasp in the crowd by these Jewish people whenever Jesus said, the father got up and ran to meet his son. Got up and ran because Jewish men don't do that. They, they don't run. It's undignified for a Jewish man to run. And so Jesus says that this father gets up, runs out to meet his son, throws his arms around him, kisses him, hugs him, brings him back, says, come in the house. We're throwing a party. In fact, the father says, uh, kill the fatted calf, like bring the robe, bring the ring because my son who was lost is now found. That's the story that Jesus told here. It's a story of the father running, father running out to meet his children. It's a story obviously of, of our God's love for us. And that's the offer that's available to you this morning as well. Why? Because God runs towards you. And the empty tomb is the visible proof. No matter your past, no matter your failures, no matter your fears that you're running from, he's running to you even right now. And he's calling out your name. And he's inviting you into the family. And Romans 10, 9 says, if you just confess Jesus as Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. There's no other prerequisites. He's done all that needed to be done. And he's running to you this morning. So what I would say is whatever you're running from, turn. Turn and run to Jesus. See the empty tomb, believe and find life this morning. Thank you for listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist. We hope that we will see you in person this next Sunday. 
To find more information about service times, location, and ministry offerings, visit mysecond.family. Thank you for listening.